Welcome in everyone to episode 135 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David. Uh, today we are going to go over some trades that we've had happen this week, uh, some injury news. Uh, we had an extension take place, uh, and then we're going to you know kind of set up the trade deadline, which is a week from today. We'll kind of look around the league at, at what's kind of updated since we've talked last about it, and then give our mock trades, uh, a couple mock trades per person here. Uh, players of the week and then we'll wrap the show up but before we get to all that david how are you doing this week i'm doing good you know i had the washington dc vacation this last week got to see maybe some prospective folks being moved in uh some of the nationals i'm pretty sure logan webb had his worst start ever in the game we went to and maybe it might have been the nationals best offensive output of the season so that was fun uh but you know uh, dc was a great trip back at work now so a little disappointing but uh, yeah vacation was nice how you doing matt i'm doing pretty good um i did not go on vacation last week but i am this coming up weekend uh but mine's just to the beach so um but yeah it's uh everything's going good um been watching some baseball uh keeping up with the rumors and stuff before the trade deadline begins so that's been fun and uh we'll see what happens it's gonna be an interesting episode uh how, how have you been damien I've been well, um, just hanging out, you know, wouldn't help my dad work on his shop this weekend. So, um, just, you know, waiting for this deadline to, to come. It's, it's been fun so far. We've had a lot of interesting rumors happen and I just can't wait for a week from today when we are uh, able to break down, you know, what upwards of 20 plus trades normally. So, uh, but let's go ahead and jump in to, uh, kind of the trades that we've already had happen, uh, over this past week, just from the last time we were recording, uh, we've had three, uh, kicking it off was the Baltimore Orioles acquiring Shintaro Fujinami from the Oakland A's and sending reliever Easton Lucas to the Oakland A's. Yeah, so Shintaro Fujinami is a guy who was signed by the A's from Japan in the uh, offseason. He's, he's a veteran guy. He's like 29 years old. He throws extremely hard. He throws like close to 100, and he has a really good splitter. Um, so they brought him in at the beginning of the season, they brought him in to start and he ended up, uh, being horrible as a starter. Then they moved him to the bullpen, which was kind of going to be his role, um, you know, cause he's dealt with some control problems. So they moved him to the bullpen and he, he, he improved a little bit. He started to figure it out just a little bit. And, uh, Baltimore decided to take a flyer on a guy with really good stuff coming out of the bullpen, which they that had some for whatever reason just didn't perform yet and that's definitely been a thing that the Orioles have done really well the last couple of years look at Bautista Cano at the back end of their bullpen right now so they brought him in and they they gave away a, a prospect that had really struggled in AAA just a relief prospect so uh didn't have to give up too much um and uh they brought in a guy who you know at worst case scenario he's like the long reliever or kind of in the you know, earlier part of your bullpen. And, you know, you never know a guy like that that throws so hard and has such good stuff could end up get better as, you know, for, for you and, and play and uh, being a big key contributor. So um, not a great start for him in Baltimore. I think he pitched his first two games, he's given up a three or four runs. So not, not great, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I like this deal in terms of, you know, poaching a, a, pitching staff that's been pretty 
generally underperforming. Uh, and, and Fujinami's got a lot of really good raw stuff. So, you know, this is a this is a net win for the Baltimore Orioles, but I, I guarantee you they're not done, right? This is a team that's yeah. jumped to first in the AL East since we last spoke, and they, that's a pretty big development. They're going to need to make some moves to stay there, and I think especially in the pitching department. You know, they, Fujinami can kind of be a long reliever, two, three-inning guy, he he doesn't have to be that back into the reliever, you know, the back into the bullpen type of reliever just because they have Bautista, they have Cano. It's very, you know, comfortable for the Orioles to go out into this mid rotation or mid middle bullpen, you know, long relief role, improve there, uh, and I think they'll be kind of improving at that starting rotation spot come the rest of this deadline. Yeah, and we've seen Baltimore have success with, uh, you know, relief pitchers that either have very good stuff. Uh, I mean, Yenir Cano was a guy who couldn't throw strikes before, and now he's been just fine for them. They've had a couple other guys like Danny Colomb and uh, Brian Baker have been pretty good for them as well since going over there. So if, uh, if there's a team that could you know, potentially turn around and make Fujinami a, uh, a solid reliever, it's going to be Baltimore. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the Atlanta Braves and Colorado Rockies trade, and that was uh, Atlanta acquiring Pierce Johnson – uh, for Victor Vodnak and Tanner Gordon. Yeah, so the Braves have dealt with some uh, pitching injuries in the bullpen especially. And, um, you know, they wanted to bring in a little bit of velocity and some strikeout stuff. Even when they've been healthy, you know, they don't have a lot of high-velocity guys in their bullpen. And Pierce Johnson can come in and be that, throw a really good slider. His numbers were really weird. He He was pitching in cores this year. And he had a, and I'll, I'll look it up again, but his home road splits were crazy. Um, he had a, at home this year, he had a 603 FIP on the road, a 231 FIP. So there's a lot of belief that course is a real problem there. And uh, he's had some good years for the Padres. He's still a little bit wild, but uh, in a little bit similar to how the uh, you know how the Orioles have done with relievers, the Braves have had some luck bringing in relievers who at times have been wild, as um, you know, and getting them to throw strikes. So you know, we'll see what happens there. Victor Vodnik is a guy that that's kind of interesting that the Rockies got. Um, unfortunately, I doubt he works out because he'll go to Colorado. But he has some pretty good stuff. He throws really hard. Has a good changeup. Uh, he just never really put it together for the Braves. And as a 26-year-old relief prospect with similar numbers in double-A to what Pierce Johnson had at the big league level this year, you know, you might want you know, to it's, – it's time for Pierce Johnson to – or it's time you would make that trade. And then Tanner Gordon's kind of a back-end-of-the-rotation prospect type guy who's kind of a – sort of a prospect. So um, definitely an interesting trade there. We mentioned the Braves also got Yanni Chirinos – uh, and Taylor Hearn, they got him off of waivers, and then Taylor Hearn they got for uh, cash. So a couple depth guys there. Right, Yanni might might pitch in the big leagues as like the five starter for a little while, but um, definitely a couple more guys too. Yeah, I like Pierce Johnson, and I like this deal for Atlanta. I think that you know Pierce is not as bad as his num, you know, his ERA specifically has been last two years. You know came off a, a five year last year sitting at six this year but he's very much a projection guy and that's why he's able to be acquired for a, you know a relief prospect and you know maybe a starter prospect I mean the the Rockies are they're not giving away Pierce Johnson but they are trying to find relievers that work in the altitude 
and obviously Pierce Johnson just doesn't seem to mesh with what Colorado's mm-hmm. doing, and they're they're going to struggle with this in, until they you know figure out how to get that thing climate controlled or something because you know it's just uh, it's not enough to to just throw really fast or have a a, a well breaking slider like Pierce Johnson does. You know he's a a guy that's kind of been renowned for his stuff but not his command and. And he still hasn't gotten a hold of the the command aspect of it, so we'll see if Pierce Johnson can kind of get going with Atlanta. And I would bet that he does because just what Atlanta does, if they've gone out and targeted a guy like that, they they have a plan for him. And I, I think we'll see some pretty good success for Pierce Johnson in Atlanta. Yeah, I think it's just just like what you said. They have a plan. They they do this every year, right at the deadline. They get a reliever or two, and they usually you know, make them pretty good for that stretch run and then move off of them from there. I, I do like them claiming Yanni Torino's. He's a guy who was pretty solid before undergoing Tommy John surgery and just really hadn't found it since he came back. Um, but I expect that he'll be able to, you know, be just fine there. Uh, so the, the last trade that we've actually had happen uh, so far is that the Dodgers and Red Sox, uh, LA got Kike Hernandez and $2.5 million and Boston got, reliever Nick Robertson and Justin Hagenman. Um, so basically on this one, LA gets the utility guy that they could use for the, uh, you know, versus lefties. He's had a really down year. Probably the last couple of years have been pretty bad, but getting him back to a familiar spot and Payne only having to pay $1 million for it and giving two relievers away that, you know, Robertson had pitched some in the major leagues this year. The, uh, the ERA is not great, but the, the peripherals look pretty decent and, uh, I think he has a future of being a middle reliever for sure. Um, and then Justin Hagen, man, he's a 26 year old at triple uh, a that really hadn't been really hadn't done much so far. Yeah. I, this is a weird deal to me because Kike Hernandez out of qualified hitters has been the worst or the out of qualified position players has been the worst position player in major league baseball this year. Minus 1.4 war. He's got a 60 WRC plus, but that being said, we know kind of Kike Hernandez has a history of being a really solid utility platoon type guy. He hits left. He's always hit lefties really well. And he's a great clubhouse guy too. And the Dodgers are very familiar with him. So it makes sense for the Dodgers to bring him back in. Uh, in my opinion, even though he really hasn't hit lefties that well this year at all. I mean, he's hit him better than righties, but he hadn't hit anybody this year. Um, but you know, it's an interesting thing. The Red Sox were also playing him at short a lot early in the season, which might have thrown him off some. Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe he goes to back to L.A. And, and does a little bit better. I don't know if I would have given up somebody who, you know, the Nick Robertson had really, really, really good numbers in AAA this year. And, I mean, he. I don't, I don't know that I would have given that up for Kike Hernandez. But at the same time um, – you know the Dodgers are probably in a little bit of a roster crunch too, and they really like Kike Hernandez and wanted to bring back a guy who they feel like maybe can will be able to hit lefties really well. So um, we'll see what happens. I, I definitely think it was interesting though. I mean, I was surprised to learn that Kike Hernandez was so bad this year, right? I mean, 60 WRC plus, like a 280 on base percentage. I mean. To my, and he may be just hiding in Boston for me, but to my knowledge, I mean, I, last I had checked, he was still a pretty valuable player. And we, we talked about him coming off a down year last year, but I figured, hey, he's probably, you know, 
90 WRC plus just doing something unimpressive, but he's, he, he was legitimately bad for Boston, but I envision that the change of scenery kind of wakes him back up and gets him going. Uh, the Dodgers are a team that's kind of platooning Jason Hayward into good numbers. They've been working a, a lot with the, the platoon splits and just trying to maximize their guys. I think they'll be able to get the most out of Kike Hernandez better off than the Red Sox were because the Red Sox needed him as an everyday player. And he just wasn't able to provide, you know, the hitting skills that they were going to need. So, uh, you know, a, a trade that makes sense. I, I don't know that in no point for me, are relief prospects, uh, something you hang on to, right? If you have a guy you want and you can get him for a relief prospect, go get him. I mean, I, I would say, you know, looking at as a whole at this group of trades, right, the the value for some very useful guys and like Enrique Hernandez, Pierce Johnson, even Fujinami, very low. Uh, you know, you're not getting a whole lot, I think, for players off the top 10 or so in your in those respective positions. You know, like these guys are kind of the starter trades, but the market thus far not they're not overpaying for these guys these are pretty light trades uh for players that i think we could see make an impact in the playoffs and i think that's that's kind of a something that's gone through historically when you think about like the jock peterson trade with the braves and the cubs in 2021 that happened you know early july jock peterson goes on to you know be one of the postseason heroes for the braves that year so and the cubs dfa'd the guy they got for him by now so it's like those trades with the lottery ticket involved, you know, those are the low value trades here, but you know, th- these are the types of players in Pierce Johnson, Kike Hernandez, Shintaro Fujinami. You could see them in October providing big value to the teams that acquired them. Yeah. Kike has been a part of multiple stretch runs for the Dodgers. So I think they know what to mm-hmm. uh, expect and get there. But uh, so let's look over at, I guess, one of the things we should have mentioned when we were talking about the Braves and Rockies. Um, okay. I've got one more note on Kike real quick. Damien, you might be able to answer this. Yeah. I know that there's been a lot of talk about J.D. Martinez and reuniting with that hitting coach. Is mm-hmm. that the same hitting coach that the Red Sox had when Kike had his his really good year a couple years ago? No, the Vinskoyak's been with the Dodgers for a few okay. years. That's, um, I, I just wasn't sure. I, I thought that was an interesting thing to look at, but if no, it but, was. But. but that you did say that in talking, uh, the media doing the uh, rounds with Dave Roberts today, they said that one of the main reasons of going and getting Kike now is that they that Robert Van Skoyak and the other hitting coach were looking at tape and they saw something that they thought they could fix. Gotcha. Um, very easily. And that's what they've kind of done with like Hayward, Martinez and stuff like that too. So their uh the their track history with that's been pretty solid so we'll see though um anyways the other thing I'll say we should talk we should have said when we were talking about the Braves is that they signed Travis Darno to a one year eight million dollar extension uh for 2024 that also has a club option for 2025 uh so keeping their backup catcher in the mold yeah tra- Travis Darno has been really good for the Braves um he. I mean, he's got a 121 WRC plus this year as the backup slash he's been, he started some games when Sean Murphy pulled his hamstring too. And he's also missed some time this year with a concussion, but he's been very good for the Braves for a long time. He had a 144 WRC plus in 2020, um, which is pretty crazy, but he, um, 
you know, they they got him for pretty cheap. He'd probably be a starting catcher for a lot of teams. Um, and I mean, he's he's a great clubhouse guy. The the team loves him. The player, the, the other players love him. He works well with Sean Murphy too. Like he plays enough to where Sean Murphy he's he's good enough to give Sean Murphy a, a pretty good bit of time off and keep him fresh. And um, I mean, I you know I think it's a no brainer for the Braves if you can get a catcher who's put up the numbers and as as productive as Travis Darnold for another season for only $8 million plus you get an option on him. I mean, I I think that's a fantastic deal for the Braves. So I I was pleased with it. I mean, yeah, Travis Darnold clearly values being in Atlanta. And I think it's just another rash of Atlanta signing an extension on a player that probably has no business in the role, you know, signing that extension for that money to do that role, right? I mean, he's a backup catcher, but darn yeah. out could, could start for 15 teams and make starter money, right? I mean, Wilson Contreras got $87 million. Darnold's not getting that, but, like, someone would pay him $15 million probably to catch for him, right? Yeah. And, and, nope, he just wants to stick around with Atlanta because he knows he can go win himself a World Series there, and, uh, you know, he's got a good relationship with everybody. So, I mean, Darno's a, a really good player, and the fact that he's found a home and a, kind of a success in Atlanta is – is good for his career, but man, Atlanta's got some kind of voodoo over all these players, man. They're just like, Hey, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to extend you and you're going to like it. Even though the, you know, you could get more money elsewhere. You don't care, right? Nope. Don't care. All right. We're going to go win. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's good to keep Dardo in the fold. You know, he's like, you mentioned, he's a solid catcher that if, if something were to happen to Sean Murphy, you have a, a guy who could step in there and, you wouldn't miss too much of a beat um, with Darno behind the plate. And, and he's been there for a lot of their successful years as, as the main starting catcher. So, uh, and then another note for the Braves is that they should be getting Max Freed back um, pretty soon as well, probably within the next week or two, um, which would be another big addition to that starting rotation. But uh, so let's go ahead and look over at the injury notes that we've had happen. Um, uh, First off, we were talking about Shane Bieber last time we talked about the trade primer. Uh, if he was going to be a potential name to get traded, we thought so. Uh, but he's now come down, I believe it's a shoulder injury. Uh, I could be wrong, though. Uh, but he was put on the 60-day IL, and so that pretty much confirms he's not going to get traded. Um, you know, it's a Bieber's kind of one of those people who've had an up-and-down year, especially since the, the sticky stuff cracked down, but still could have been an effective arm for somebody, but doesn't look like that's going to happen now. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Cleveland. Bieber, it's been weird. You know, most guys lost spin rate with the velocity, I mean with the uh, sticky stuff thing. Bieber's lost velocity too, so there's not – I think it's more than just the spin rate. He has dealt with injuries before. Um, you know, he was still really good last year at that lower velocity. Uh, had a 288 ERA in 200 innings last year. But this year, I mean, his his VIP was up, his ERA was up. He's not striking guys out anymore. So, you know, he's kind of what they what he was expected to be as a prospect now, which is a pretty solid mid rotation guy who doesn't walk many. But um, and I think he's still probably better than his numbers have been this year. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future for him. And it, it sucks for Cleveland because you either were going to get a pretty good haul for him at the deadline, or you know Cleveland's not that far out of playoff contention right now so you know you probably if you're going to compete this year you probably needed Bieber to pitch well down the stretch for you so uh definitely a bummer and um 
you know, we'll see. Maybe I know it's a 60 day IL. I don't know exactly what the injury was. So maybe he comes back at the end of the year, but uh, we'll see. So that's tough. And Shane, I don't know that Cleveland was going to move on from Shane Bieber though. Like, you know, they're, they're four games out in the AL central, but there's a lot of, you know, teams at 500 right now in the AL. We, we don't really know what they're all going to do uh, between Cleveland, the Yankees, the Red Sox, uh, the Mariners, that the Angels, right? I mean, those teams are all within like three games of 500. So, you know, there, there's a glut at that fighting for that last wild card spot. But at the same time, you know, Cleveland's also got the worst division in baseball that they can kind of beat up on. It, losing Shane Bieber makes that uh, a much larger climb now if they were going to get back in contention. And if they weren't going to get in contention and try to sell off Bieber while he had a little value, well, you know, like Matt said, his numbers are, are way down this year, a 377 ERA uh, compared to a career 326 ERA, uh, a 414 FIP this year compared to a 316 FIP for his career, right? Only 1.6 wins above replacement, which, you know, is on pace for his lowest number ever other than his injured 2021 season. And that includes his rookie year. So he, he's just not in a good spot right now is Shane Bieber. I think overall, right. He was down in value. He was, his velocity's down. Everything just seems down for, for him. And, you know, hopefully he can just get back healthy and maybe, maybe the guardians are able to move him in the off season if he comes back in and, and show some flashes at the end of the year of the guy he kind of used to be, but at age 28, you know, going into 29, I'm just not sure that that's that's not what it was at this point. Yeah, so uh, let's move from one pitcher to another pitcher, and one that hasn't made his major league debut yet, but that's Andrew Painter. Uh, was a highly touted prospect for the Phillies. We expected to see him up at some point this year. Uh, well, it's come out that he had to undergo Tommy John surgery and also an ulnar nerve transportation surgery. Yeah, I, I'm frustrated with the Phillies for how they've handled this this year. It was pretty obvious that he was going to need Tommy John surgery in the spring. They said he had a torn UCL. It was shown on the MRI. And for a young guy like Andrew Painter, I feel like you have to just go ahead and get that taken care of. You know, if it was, you know, a 39-year-old who's probably not going to come back from it, you might, you know, try to see if it heals on its own or do some of those, like, uh, injections and whatever. But – I mean, they, they tried that because they wanted him on their big league roster this year because they felt like they really needed a, another pitcher. And, I mean, they put off his Tommy John surgery by, you know, four months, and that could cost them development time in the future. You know, and uh, he, he'll, he'll miss next year. So that following season, he might not be able to start on time. So um, I, I thought that was pretty poor management by the Phillies. And, of course, I, I don't know the doctors and – you know, what goes into it exactly. So it, I might be wrong. They might have truly believed that they were going to be able to, that they weren't going to need it. But I just, it said the way it was sounded in the spring was that he was probably going to need it, but they were going to wait and see anyways. So I, I don't know. It, that's kind of a tough situation, but I hate it for Andrew Painter because he's really, really talented. It always sucks to see a talented guy like him get injured. And hopefully that extra thing, the older nerve thing, I hope that's not an extra like, problem in his recovery i hope that's a somewhat typical thing because i've never really heard of it but um hopefully he comes back and is healthy you know as soon as possible yeah this is I, I, this feels like the pro the kind of the the result of a guy who throws really hard and 
relies on that that high quality fastball but also it feels like a product of the Phillies kind of trying to trying to game the system that that's a team that needs pitching desperately uh, to kind of keep up in the NL East and Andrew Painter would have been a really nice addition late in the season if you could have gotten him going and as it stands now he looks like a uh, you know someone who's out for almost all of next year uh, so not only will he not help you this season but he won't help you next season either and the, we've mentioned the Phillies window is right now um, based on the contracts that they've signed and, and doled out and, and they, they needed Andrew Painter this year. And if they couldn't have him this year, you know, I don't know that having him next year was going to help at this point. And, and you just don't know what you have, right? He's 20 years old. He made it to double a, he was quickly becoming one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, but you know, it, it, how quickly it can unravel for a pitcher. And that's kind of why, pitching is always so volatile and you have to cash in on it when you can uh, a lot of the time because it can go, go to hell really quickly. Uh, and it kind of has for Andrew Painter. So hopefully you can get back. Right. I mean, Tommy John's not a death sentence for your career. Like it kind of used to be, uh, but it, it, it is bad for guys at high, high velocity like Andrew Painter. And it's a big risk for them to tear it again. Uh, so we'll see if he can get back to that same level of pitcher because I mean he was he wasn't walking anybody in double A at age 19 last season I mean he was kind of looking like a guy who could come up middle of this year and still win NL rookie of the year like they were ta- they were talking good. about they were talking about him making the opening day roster in spring training right right and then he he blew out his elbow and that was it you know and it's just man that's tough yeah. uh so the next one we have is the Yankees catcher Jose Trevino uh, is out for the year he has to undergo wrist surgery. Uh, tried to play through it some this year, but it just got to the point where he couldn't do it anymore. So uh, Yankees probably looking for a catcher here at the deadline, but Jose Trevino is out for the year. Yeah, that's a big hurt for them because he was really good last year. And, I mean, he hadn't had a great year this year, but their other catchers, Kyle Higashioka, who, who's a fine backup catcher, but you probably don't want him starting every day. And then now they have been – Vet is their other catcher, so uh, I, I'm assuming they'll probably look to add some kind of like mid mid tier catcher at some point that's maybe can start games, kind of like a I don't know, like a uh, kind of like a James McCann, Reese McGuire type. Uh, not those guys because they're own division rivals that are contending, but that that type of catcher who's who's could be a a low end starter. Um, and that's assuming that the Yankees buy, which I think is probably going to happen, but it's kind of hard to tell. But uh, definitely hurts them to not have Jose Trevino. If I were to, yeah, I think we went over this in our kind of off-season review. But if I were to give you the 2022 Yankees and say who was the second highest player on their team in F4, you would have probably gone a bit of a ways before you got to Jose Trevino. And, and he was the guy, he was really good defensively for him last year. This year he was not hitting well. Uh, he had kind of gotten the bug that all the rest of the Yankees seemed to get other than Aaron judge, which was just a complete lack of ability to take a walk there. Right. I mean, they're on base percentage kind of as a team drop below 300 when you removed Aaron judge from the, the equation. I mean, it was just team wide a problem, but, you know, Trevino was just bitten just as hard as anybody there. Uh, you know, Yankees are in a, in a really rough spot. You know, I, they're going to buy because it's the Yankees, but yeah, they're they're fighting an uphill battle right now. And it, it, they're looking at a, a very you know, tough mountain to climb, but they are in the exact same boat as the Red Sox. 
as the Guardians, as the Angels, as the Mariners. They're going to be fighting for that last wild card spot from three games behind it at, at around 500. And it, it it's tough to sell your fans on a sell-off when you're above 500. I don't think they're as good as a couple of those teams either. Yeah, they've definitely not hit like it, though they did get Carlos Rodon back halfway through the you know, halfway through this first yeah, half and that'll help. He's been he's been really bad since he came back. But yeah. we'll see. So never know. Uh so the last injury that we had happen is Jared Kellenick uh broke his foot after kicking a water cooler <laughs> after he struck out. Uh I believe it was last Wednesday, uh Wednesday night or something like that. But uh so he's gonna be out for probably at least a month, if not into September. Uh, which is he, you know, he had kind of broken out this year a little bit, struggled the past couple months, but was just kind of starting to look like he had found it again. Um, and then this happens. So, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the Mariners; they're kind of kind of be in that weird spot, and they just lost one of their starting outfielders. Just how I mean, so dumb. <laughs> like, I, I I don't understand. I mean, I understand players get frustrated, emotions run high, but you cannot start punching things in the dugout, kicking things in the dugout, like you're going to hurt yourself. I mean, we saw it a few years ago. Devin Williams broke his hand right before the playoffs by punching a wall. Like we've seen it a a million times. And and I just, I don't understand why players can't learn to not do it. I mean, a team like the, a team like the Mariners struggling, do they need to have like boxing gloves? So when you strike out and walk back into the dugout, you get boxing gloves and a, or kick a, kick a heavy bag or something. Like, I, I don't understand how this keeps happening to guys, but I mean, I guess it is what it is. Emotions run high. It's an emotional game. And, uh, for Kellenek, it sucks. He, he was having a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a breakout breakout year, but he was improved a lot over the last couple of years. And it was good to see. And it looked like he belonged finally at the big league level. So it sucks to see him because there was a world where he continued to improve this year and really kind of turned into the player we were hoping he would be. But, you know, he's going to be out a while now. So we'll see what happens. But uh, it kind of sucks to, kinda sucks to see him get injured. I mean, we he was part of our you know do you buy the changes uh, in one of our episodes early in the season and we did right we bought the changes I, he hasn't been nearly as good uh, as those early swing changes suggested I mean remember he hit that like 490 foot home run at Wrigley Field earlier this year that still might be the longest of the season uh, maybe Sh- it might, Shohei might have broken it at, you know last week or something but ultimately Kellenic was on pace to have a really good year and he was certainly not the reason the Mariners are struggling, but you know, that team just needed more spark and what they're getting is more deflated. This doesn't help. And you know, they're eight and a half games behind the Rangers that deficit's probably not surmountable at this point. Uh, and they're I think six games behind the, the blue Jays that deficit's going to be difficult to surmount. And this is a Mariners team that I think we all projected to go into the playoffs this year, right? I mean, they were a a really good contending team. They made the playoffs last year, broke the drought, but it hasn't gone their way this year. And and this is just kind of a microcosm of their season where, you know, something simple as, you know, kicking a water cooler, which you'd think, eh, probably not that dangerous results in a player, you know, going out for, for a couple months. So, um you know, frustrating for sure. And that's that's why you have a bat, right? You just got to take the bat, hit the water cooler with it. There you go. Then, then no no foot injuries. That would be a way to avoid foot injury. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so let's go ahead and jump up and do our, um, or before we get to our mock trades, let's kind of just look at the market. Since we did that primer in, um, was it early June or mid June? Um, you know, things have changed a little bit, obviously we're kind of getting a clear picture of who's going to buy, who's going to sell, uh, some of the names that are going to be out there. Uh, so let's just kind of go over that update, you know, like in the past month, we've seen the Cardinals kind of really commit to being a seller. So we should expect to see them trade a couple people. Oh, no. Uh, you know. <laughs> right. Not that. Um, you know, we've seen a team like the Padres who they're kind of in, in peril, but they're kind of deciding to stick where they are, maybe sell, but they might buy at the same time. So overall, like, you know, what are what are some stuff that we're hearing about what this deadline's possibly going to look like? Well, I guess I could start. Um, you know, I think you're going to see the – you've still got a few teams that we don't know. Like the Padres, I, we don't really know. I don't think we really know what the Cubs are going to do. Um, the Mariners, nope. I don't think we know. Nope. Um, don't know what the Angels are going to do. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I – don't, it's hard to say with the Angels just because – <laughs> if you're if they're if they're gonna refuse to trade Shohei, then they're gonna not trade anybody. Because what are you holding on to him for if you're trading other people? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they might not buy, but it, I mean, I guess we don't really know what they're gonna do. But I don't think they're gonna sell. So it, it will say that Rosenthal did put out a piece just a little bit ago that said the Angels are calling around about potential players that are available. <sighs> yeah, I mean. I, I, they would be foolish to not figure out who's what the price is for those guys, right? Though, like, and it's not yeah. just Shohei, right? They signed Brandon Drury yeah. to like a two-year deal. He's been good. That would be a piece that would bring back some decent, you know, prospective controlled players. Um, I like, you know, the Angels are in such a good spot to to perform a sell-off. They're also above five hundred. Yeah. You can make a run when you're above 500. At this point in 2021, the Braves were 51 and 52. Like and and they went and won the World Series. It, it can happen. Now the not every team's the 2021 Braves, but you you're always going to have hope when you're hovering around 500. Yeah, I mean, I remember maybe not the 2021 Braves, but remember that Cardinals team that won like yeah. 20 games in a row after being like below 500 at this point mm-hmm. in the season. So, you know, that's one that maybe is more like what the Angels are. Because that Braves team would come off a season of winning 96 games and they had just kind of underperformed a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and they added big, like, not yeah. big names, but they added guys who added a lot at the deadline. S- and, propped them up down the stretch, yeah. right? Jock and, Peterson, and, Jorge Soler, right. Eddie and, Rosario. And for that, and for that matter, they also were in a division that took 87 games to win. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they would have made the wild card if they had not won the division. So mm-hmm. the Angels, they have to make the wild card. It's going to take – they're probably going to have to win 90 games. I mean, with the way the yep. AL East is, I mean, because the Rays are, and the Blue Jays are going to be there. And the Astros or the Rangers, whoever doesn't win that, are going to be there. Like – that's kind yeah. of the thing. So I, it, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, if it were me making the calls, I'd probably sell. But, I mean, it, mm. you know, that's tough. So I, I will say, you know, a couple of notes uh, from what is being said. Otani's holding up the bigger names to be yeah. moved. Yeah. Uh, and, and pretty much every rental 
because teams don't want to you know part with their assets when there might be that outside chance that Shohei Otani's available right and you have to put together a package for him you need to include an asset you might have otherwise moved for uh, a Jamer Candelario or a CJ Crone or you know uh, Lucas Giolito you know the guys who are already definitely available you can't provide those assets if to a, for Otani if you know if you've already traded them so that's holding everything up right now but until the Angels commit one way or another we won't know anything I think and and that may come until Tuesday afternoon honestly of next yep. week I yep. will say that the other thing I've seen recently is that the two pit you know two of the better pitching pitchers on the market are Marcus Stroman and Eduardo Rodriguez. They both have player options, which is going to deflate their price. Yeah. Some Eduardo Rodriguez's is far more scary than Stroman. Stroman's is a one year deal for under market values, under what he got paid this year. In theory, whoever, if the Cubs sell Stroman would probably not be hampered by that very much, but you don't a team that we'll, we'll get into him later. Eduardo Rodriguez is really scary, though. That's a three-year yeah. commitment if he opts into it. He's already been hurt once this year. The Tigers may not be able to get anything for him, and, and that's that's really scary. But it's still a good, talented pitcher that you know a, a bigger yeah. team might be able to pick up on, and, and maybe even a team that's really b- far below the luxury tax can afford the, the potential that Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't opt out of that contract. So... You know, those are the the couple of things that I think need to be said before we get into these trades, and you know, we'll see what happens, man. No, nothing's happened so far. Only what? What we go over three trades? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just kind of mentioning on the Eduardo Rodriguez thing, his contract is for you know eighteen million dollars per year. I guess the luxury talent, luxury salary uh, number would be fifteen point four. So. For really the type of production he gives you, it's about market value as well. Um, maybe even a little bit under compared if we see in the Mike Clevenger get ten million dollars this year, yeah. and Matt Matt Boyd get the same amount. But anyway, so let's let's go ahead and just jump into um, you know our mock trades. David had the first pick of a buy-in team, so who'd you go ahead and pick, and what's your trade? I went with the Baltimore Orioles, and my mock trade was going to be. Uh, for Mitch Keller from the Pirates. You know, we got some reports that the Pirates were shopping Mitch Keller and David Bednar this week. Uh, the Both of them have at least a year more of control. I think Keller has two more years of control. I need to check that. Um, but he's got some massive value, does Mitch Keller, right? I mean, we, we talked about him potentially being a, yeah, he's free agent after 2026. So, or before 2026. So two yeah, years. After the conclusion of 2026. Yeah, he's got three years of control left oh. after this year does Mitch Keller and that's he, we talked about him potentially being a Cy Young guy right now he's not been quite that far but he made the all-star team right the Orioles have the pieces in the minor leagues to go get him the mock I made up on baseball trade values was Kobe Mayo and Judd Fabian that was maybe a little shy you know I, I think they could probably toss in a Kierstad if they really need to overpay to go ahead and get Mitch Keller on board but Take the, take it this way. The Orioles have the ammo to go out and get any starting pitcher they want on the market, bar none, including the controlled ones, right? Mitch Keller is probably the most valuable pitch starting pitcher that we've mentioned, um, given that he's under controlled until 2023. 
if there's a team out there hunting starting pitching, it's the Baltimore Orioles. So if they're going to go out and make a buy trade for for a controlled asset, it's going to be for like a Mitch Keller, and and they can get it done for sure. So might not be the two names I mentioned, but Baltimore to Mitch Keller, that's the 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 one I would do. Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's an out there one. Um, you know, we we got the Mitch Keller um, you know, news. I think it was yesterday when we started hearing that Baltimore has a ton of prospect depth that they could go get a controllable starter that has high upside um, for sure. Um, it'd be a move that we've never seen them do before, but uh, it would be an interesting one, and I would be here for it because uh, you know it's been pretty fun seeing Camden Yards rocking this year. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so Matt, what was your first one, and who'd you pick? So my first one was the Rangers, and I think that the Rangers really need a bat and an outfield bat. Um, you know, they've been playing Robbie Grossman a lot in left field and center field. They've been playing a lot of uh, Leody Tavares. So I think that if the Cubs do sell, I think that Cody Bellinger would be a really cool option for them. Um, he's you know a one year guy. He, he's he's a rental um, and. I don't think you'd have to give up a ton for him um, because mm. because of the well he's a rental who the, he's been good this he's been extremely good this year but I think that I think that there's there's still something with him he's been injured some this year there's he's had that history of of in, battling injuries and just the fact of the matter is that like his a lot of his stat cast numbers are still not great. They're way better than they have been. And he like I say, the results have been awesome and he's gonna fetch a pretty decent return. But for two months of Cody Bellinger, I think I think they could get a I don't think they could get a top one hundred guy, but they could get something just beyond the top one hundred maybe. So uh, I think that's something that um it would be a good fit for the Rangers, and it does sound like the Rangers are going to be really aggressive. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I think that could be one if if the Cubs do sell, which mm-hmm. I think these next four or five days are going to determine a lot of that. Um, they will how they play, but that I think that that's a team that um, that's a guy that that the Rangers might go hard after. I will say the the match is really good for the Rangers and the Cubs. I think the Rangers have some pieces the Cubs need. I think the Cubs could be incentivized to move both Bellinger or Stroman to the Rangers. I think that would be both would be a pretty good fit. That said, Bellinger specifically, you have to move for more than a 68th, 69th overall pick in next year's draft, because if you keep Cody, you're getting, you're giving him the qualifying offer. And then if he signs with another team, you're getting the pick. So it has to be more than that. And, you know, rental bats don't always get a big prospect. The Rangers can be aggressive. They have like Justin Foscue high in the minors. It it would make some sense if the Cubs do sell, but there is that caveat. And, and one of the things Rosenthal floated in that article Damian mentioned earlier was that the Cubs could be keeping Bellinger trading Stroman. So, and then kind of doing what the Orioles did last year, like also buying, but just trading away assets. It'll, I don't know if they're creative enough for that. So whatever Bellinger for the Rangers is actually a really good fit. Yeah. Reunite him with Corey Seager. Um, <laughs> so the, the deal that I went with was the Tampa Bay Rays acquiring starting pitching. We've talked about their uh, long history this year of starting pitching injuries. Uh, and the name I had is the name we were just talking about Marcus Stroman. 
Uh, I think it would be make a lot of sense for the Tampa Bay Rays to go out, get a Marcus Stroman, put him into that rotation. Uh, they have one of the better infield defenses in the league that also will help him uh, as mainly a ground ball pitcher. And, you know, just for throwing it around and stuff, I was kind of looking at a guy like Jonathan Aranda um, as what would kind of be a, a trade back. He's a 25 year old that, you know, is kind of blocked there with the, the Rays not really able to get playing time a lot. Um, but in AAA this year, he's batting 344 with a 162 WRC plus 17 homers. Uh, 15% walk rate to 20% strikeout rate, so that's very close. Uh, and even last year in AAA, 318 with a 142 WRC plus 18 homers. Uh, a guy that I think can be a very an impactful you know pl- player for you. The Cubs have been looking for somebody at at first or third base. This guy could probably jump right in and play that for you. Um, and I think it's a solid a solid match there. Stroman would help the Rays immediately give them one, another top of the rotation starter to go with Glass now. Um, you know, McClanahan, and it really kind of protects you if Glass now, uh, you know, gets hurt going down the stretch, gives you another guy who can step in and, and give you some solid, solid innings. Yeah, it makes sense, right? I mean, if, if you're partnering up with the Rays, you're going to want to find one of their first base prospects, basically, right? And they have a bunch of them. So, you know, Aranda's probably the lowest down of the totem pole of those guys, but you know, figuring out a way to, you know, the Cubs could pay off the 20 million next year or something to, to get up to the next, you know, tier of player they could toss in prospects. There's a, there's a definitely a deal that can be had. Aranda is a, an interesting player, but we'll see if he can figure it out at the major league level. He's kind of one of those guys who, you know, you'd think he, if he was so good in the minors, why hasn't he come up for the raise yet? Right. They chose Luke Rayleigh over him and Luke Rayleigh has been spectacular. So you never know, right? I'm ultimately good with partnering with the Rays. A lot of people say don't trade with the Rays. Rays have a really good farm system. They can go out and get whoever they want to, right? They were probably number two on the team I wanted to pick to make up a trade for because I felt like they've got some really interesting pieces. They could be after some of the controlled talent as well. So, you know, I, I'd keep an eye on the Rays. But, uh, yeah, Stroman to the Rays, definitely a, a, a fit for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Rays might try to go more for bullpen additions because they're their rotation. I mean, even with the injuries they have, they've got three really, really good ones. And they've still got, like, Taj Bradley and a couple other guys who are decent, you know, maybe a little inconsistent because they're young. But I mean, with Eflin, McClanahan, and Glass now at the top of the rotation, like, that's tough to beat. But, yeah, they don't I mean, need, I can see them getting starter. One. Yeah. They don't need it, but they could always they use could, it. They could exactly. use it. Um, so, David, what was your next trade that you had? Yeah, so I chose the Dodgers to make a buy trade, and I believe that it's it's high time for the Cardinals to sell. It's high time for the Dodgers to buy. And, you know, the, the one thing the Dodgers have that we – you know, I had to check with Damian, actually, because the, the luxury tax implications for the Dodgers are very funky – uh, Trevor Bauer's salary got put back on this year and, and it shot him over the luxury tax. So if they're going to take some cash on, why not take on Nolan Arenado's contract, right? I mean, the, the Cardinals probably aren't incentivized to move Arenado unless they get some good players in return, which would therefore break the little baseball trade values website that we like to use to at least verify whether something like this makes sense. 
the Cardinals, I would say, probably pay half the contract, some to that extent. But they'll get like three pitching prospects from the Dodgers, right? And that that would make some sense to me. They could also flip Jordan Montgomery's rental in to acquire even better, you know, pitching prospects. I figure they get like a a Michael Grove or a Ryan Pepiote, and then like a Bruns and a Frasso, something to that effect, right? But if the the Cardinals are selling a an Arenado, they're buying pitching prospects for sure because that's where that system just lacks so sorely right now and you know they can maybe hope that Jordan Walker can play some third base but he's been dreadful in the outfield so you know at this point you know maybe Brendan Donovan there they, they've got a bunch of names that can kind of play filler on the yeah, infield Nolan Gorman too yeah Gorman yeah so you know I think moving moving Arenado at this point is more of a let's see how much we can get for him move for the Cardinals and you know, they, they need pitching. So the Dodgers do have a, a plethora of pitching prospects that aren't all ready yet. Um, it seems like, you know, the Grove has struggled. Pepio has struggled and been hurt. They need guys who can pitch now. Montgomery can at least perform well now, uh, you know, as a, maybe the four going into the playoffs for him and, and Arenado playing third base, matching him up with Freddie Freeman. That'd be kind of dangerous. So there, that's my, uh, my trade. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. It allows them the ability to um, – you can move a lot of things around. You know, Muncy could go play second um, where he was was pretty solid there. Um, Lukey could play some shortstop and some outfield. I mean, it, it just gives them a lot of options. Arenado's that Southern California kid. It's been rumored that he would be willing to waive his no-trade clause to go back to Los Angeles. Um you know, he that's was one of his preferred destinations when he was with the Rockies, but obviously Rockies wouldn't trade him in division. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I don't know if it happens, but it is it is pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting deal that that is a possibility. Yeah, but, I, I agree. I, it's interesting. I don't think Arnado gets moved, but right. I mean, if he were to, that would be an interesting that would be an interesting one. And like you said. I like the point of uh, Jordan Walker. He came up as a third baseman like his entire minor league career. He was playing third. I know that he's been horrible in the outfield this year, but this is also his first time ever playing outfielder outfield, and maybe he's just a better infielder. And I know his defense at third base wasn't supposed to be really great, but I think it's supposed to be better than he's been in the outfield. So, uh, And Nolan Gorman also came up as a third baseman too. So yeah. I think that you, know, you have options there that – Maybe if you did move Arnado, you wouldn't fall off a cliff like like you know maybe you would you know. Well, hold on now. Let's not get crazy. Otherwise. They probably should fall off a cliff. Well, <laughs> biased, biased. Yeah, yeah. Biased. Well, I mean, it, it probably wouldn't hurt them just to go into a full on rebuild. Anyways, they are yeah. that system's not good, and this team is not good as yeah. constructed. Anyways, so. Uh, so Matt, what was your second trade that you came up with? So my second trade, um, a team that has been struggling a little bit lately, but was really good for um, for a long time this year. They've got a lot of young talents, the Diamondbacks. Um, I, they're in the thick of the wild card race right now, and in the National League West race, um, they have, you know, they they really need some pitching. They've got Zach Gallen, who is amazing. Um, but beyond him, they've had Merrill Kelly pitch really well this year, but he's been injured some. And after that, they just don't really have that much pitching. And their farm system has a couple guys who are interesting, but they don't have anybody who's like imminently looking to be a big time starting pitcher for their in the in the big leagues. And with the amount of young 
position player, young position player talent they have uh, in the core that they have. I think they'd like to get somebody who's a li- little bit more controllable. And they also still have a really good farm system, and, and some of the guys in their farm system are blocked a little bit too. So I said that I think that they'll go and make the trade for Dylan Cease if the White Sox do decide to move him. And uh, also get Kenyon Middleton in the deal as the D-backs definitely need some relief help. Kenyon Middleton's been good this year. Um, and I think that they would move one of their top guys for that, like a like Jordan Lawler type, who is really good, a really good prospect, but maybe doesn't have quite the same kind of shine that he had when he got drafted. And, you know, they've got so many good prospects right now. And, I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with them. But um, I definitely think that that could be a landing spot for like a Dylan Cease um, and, and reliever, or, or like like uh, you know like like Damian mentioned, that could be another landing spot, or or uh, David, sorry, David's the one that had the Mitch Keller trade. Uh, that could be a, a spot for Mitch yeah. Keller, and um, you know maybe like a one of their relievers too. I don't know if they'd get Mitch Keller and Bednar, but you know Mitch Keller and another reliever. So definitely an interesting one to look at. Uh, but I think the D backs will make a pretty aggressive move for some controlled starting pitching. Yeah, we've seen the D-backs make aggressive moves um, in the past, especially for pitching. Not not always at the deadline, but just in general. Yeah, um, that would be that would be you know a big time move for them, and would cement you know if you could cement Cease and Gallon as part of your top two in your rotation, uh, and then if any of those you know pitching prospects that they have uh, can really turn out to be uh, what they're expected to be, that could be a really dangerous team here. They have, you know, a lot of their stars breaking out this year. We already talked a lot about Corbin Carroll. Cartel Marte's kind of found himself again. Uh, Toronto Perdomo's having a good season. So it's a, it's a team on the rise. And if they were to trade for a young top of the rotation um, arm would be definitely what they need to kind of get back into the race. I will say, you know, when you put Jordan Lawler on there, he he's, he's kind of, he's a top 50 prospect, but that's the type of, of, deal the White Sox would need to move Dylan Cease, yeah. right? Is a kind of a no-brainer top-end prospect. They're losing Tim Anderson. Jordan Lawler's in double-A. He can get to the majors in the next season or two. Ult- and, you know, I'm, I'm ultimately a, on board with this deal. I don't know that the White Sox move Dylan Cease. I, I generally think they're going to want to wait till the offseason to try to ensure that, you know, teams can do their homework a little more and maybe pay up a little bit, see what Dylan Cease has down the stretch because he hasn't been good this year. You know, we, and we say he hasn't been good, right? He has, has given up a lot of home runs has been his, his big concern. And he's, he's given up a home runs at a 10.1% clip. Every time a fly ball is hit, he's not giving up ground balls with a, you know, just 38% ground ball rate. He's got a 4.04 ERA. Ultimately, he's still a solid starter, but he's not the Cy Young candidate. He was last year. Uh, with the 220 ERA. So, you know, teams aren't going to necessarily pay up for a guy who's sitting at a four ERA and, you know, he's down a mile an hour in pitching velocity, you know, fastball velocity. That said, Dylan Cease is a guy with a lot of talent. He, he throws a very a strong fastball. He's got good breaking stuff, wicked curveball. Got, you know, he's a, he's got good command for a, a guy who has that kind of electric stuff. It's a guy you give up a top, you know, top fifty prospect for. The Diamondbacks have to be willing to throw around some extension money, you know, especially if you're giving up Jordan Lawler. But I, I think they'd be willing to do that. You know, the Diamondbacks haven't been afraid to spend money before. Remember Zach Greinke getting a 
long-term deal there a few years ago. So I, I, I like it as, as a deal uh, from you, Matt. Don't like it. Don't like <laughs> it at all. Uh so my last trade that I went with uh, was for the Cincinnati Reds, uh, a team that has broken out this year. You know, they've had a ton of prospects come up and do very well for them. The one thing that they've kind of got away with, I feel like, in, in lacking is pitching. Um, you know, Hunter Green went down. Graham Ashcraft has not been good. They've had some good performances from a guy like Andrew Abbott. Um and, you know, I just – I feel like they need to kind of shore up that rotation and maybe even that bullpen a little bit. Uh, so the trade that I had was them going to the Detroit Tigers and for a name that we mentioned earlier, Eduardo Rodriguez and bringing back old friend Michael Lorenzen. Uh, now, I don't know exactly what the return would be, but the Cincinnati Reds have a plethora of middle infield talent uh, just through their system. Um, you know, maybe they look at a Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, somewhere in that range. They give up one of those guys. Um, you know, you're not going to need them up in the major leagues when you have Matt McLean, Jonathan India, Ellie De La Cruz, Nixon Zell. I mean, Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion Strand. I mean, we can just continue to go with what they have there. Um, and they really, to solidify that, that pitching staff, you could put Eduardo Rodriguez and Lorenzen in the rotation if you need be. And if you get some of those people, uh, some of those guys back like Hunter green uh, or whatever Lorenzen can easily fit right into that middle of the rotation or middle of the bullpen um, and maybe late bullpen arm uh, with allowing that stuff to play up. He's been in Cincinnati before. So they have a relationship there and Eduardo Rodriguez, the Reds owner came out and said, he's not afraid to add payroll and to add payroll past this year um, at this deadline. And I feel like Eduardo Rodriguez would just be a guy that, you know, he's a solid starter that you can throw into there. I already mentioned his contract's not too outrageous. It's probably about market value for him, if not a little bit under, if he's given you the production that he has so far this year. Um, you know, I think it would be a, a good fit to add him to that rotation. Really take a chance if you're the Reds at your young guys are there, they're performing, solidify that rotation, um, go make a run at this division because they've kind of fallen behind the Brewers a little bit uh, and they need some type of move to kind of spark it again. Yeah, that's kind of like, um, you know, the, the Braves in 2018 went out, got Kevin Gossman uh, at the deadline, who was before Kevin Gossman became what he is now. And just because they were overperforming and they had a, you know, they went and took a guy who maybe wasn't the most expensive player in the market, but was a stabilizing, solid pitcher in their rotation. And that's something that the Reds really need. They need just a couple stabilizers that are decent. Because right now, they're getting blown up every... Their pitching's getting blown up all the time. So, um, you know, I think that's definitely something that, that they need. And, and it would be nice to see them get something. Speaking of getting blown up with the Reds, sorry, David, to cut you off there. Did you guys see the stat with Luke Weaver? No. No. Uh, with the Reds. He has like a... 720 ERA in his 17 games there. Yeah. And I think in the last like 10 games, they're like nine and one in games <laughs> that he started. It's insane. It's, it's stupid how like they, they, he's just getting absolutely demolished or something like that. And they're like nine and one in those games. It's hilarious. 
Sorry, David, continue. No, you're good. I was going to say that I tried to I tried to lead into it when I was talking about Erod earlier, right? When you've got this kind of potential for, you know, additional money to be tacked on, the Reds are the right type of team to make this move because they do not have they have a lot of space to the cap. They do not have a lot of big contracts. That's the Reds team is a team that has spent big in the past. They are a team that can spend money. They haven't. And their, their entire team right now is a bunch of guys who are, are, are under a lot of control. And then one is extended in Hunter green. You know, this is a team that can go out and acquire some salary. Erod, you know, having that deal that kind of helps them if he were to opt into the contract. Right. I mean, if they could get him willing to, to stick around, they'd probably be willing to pay him even a little bit more than, than that for over the three years. Right. I think it's like 47 or 48 million, you know, they'd probably be willing to pay him 60 over those three years. But it's, it's one of those things where the Reds have to be willing to, to go out there and, and take on salary at this point in the season. And I think they are, but their, their ownership has been questionable in the past. So the, the way this, this deal gets struck down, comes from the ownership it doesn't come from the front office i'm sure the front office has explored you know trades exactly like this because this is exactly the type of trade this reds team desperately needs yeah it's it's like you said it's exactly what they need and and uh one thing to mention too is you know there's the potential that Votto's contract could be off the books after this year they have a club option for i believe it's like 20 something million dollars uh for this next season and who knows i mean they could always up, you know, decline that and then have them come back at a lower salary or something. But, um, you know, that's still a potential 20 cents a million off the books if you're looking at a move like this, potentially. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to uh, our players of the week uh, real quick. So, David, who do you have for your player this week? You know, with uh, Matt's third baseman, Austin Riley, um, I think he hit six home runs this week. He, he's kind of gone on an absolute tear is, is what he's done. Uh, has Austin Riley. The Braves have just been so overwhelming this season on offense. Austin Riley this week, 16 RBI, the six home runs, nine runs scored. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously playing better third base defense, I think, these days than anybody thought possible a few years ago. Austin Riley's got extended for 200 million bucks, and, and he's still kind of under the radar in terms of, you know, being one of the best third basemen in baseball, you know, you start naming guys off, you're probably like Arenado, and, you know, you, you might get stuck, but Austin Riley's got to be up there at this point, right? He's really, really good, and he's a legitimate power hitter that was struggling a little bit to start the season, but the last couple of weeks have really brought his numbers back to what you're expecting from a guy like Austin Riley, and uh, his season line, he's up to 100, uh, 116 WRC+, plus. his slugging's up to 488, got to 22 homers, you know, he's he's definitely going to uh, going to have another one of those seasons where at the end of the year, you're like, oh, my goodness, how is he? He's in the MVP race, right? Like, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, one note on Austin Riley, his defense this year has been way better than it has been in the past. Uh, he's been a positive defender at third base. He's actually been a pretty good bit better defensively by the metrics than Nolan Arnato. So yep. um, that's another thing that he's done well this year. It's surprising to me. And, and yeah. I, I think I saw, I can't remember. I saw a game and I, no, it was the all-star game. He, he made a couple plays in the all-star yeah, game he where, did. I, where we, we all went like, who the heck was that? Oh, that's Austin yeah. Riley. What? Like, yeah, he's, he's good down there now. I, I think that's, that's pretty evident and the metrics are backing it up. 
Yep. So from one brave to a former brave. Yep. Uh, my guy that I picked this week is Freddie Freeman. Uh, he had a fantastic week, hit 500 this week, 600 on base, 958 slugging, hit three homers. Uh, I think two of them came in the same game against the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was, saw highlights from that game. But, um, yeah, he's putting up another great season. And, I mean, there's not a lot to say about Freddie Freeman because he's kind of what you've – he's always been, which is awesome. So, um, you know, he continues to be great. And he – I mean, not a lot to say about him. So, um, very good week for him, though. He was probably the best hitter – him or Riley, probably co, probably the co players of the week, and uh, Freeman was right up there too, though. He might be having the best season of his career. It's, he's up, it's up there. <laughs> yeah. If not for Ronald Acuna, um, he'd be hunting the yeah. second MVP. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the guy that I went with this week was Kyle Tucker. Uh, he had a three homer game against the Angels this last week. Uh, hit three sixty, a four sixty seven on base. Uh, 840 slugging, 251 WRC plus. Uh, exact same strikeout to walk ratio, 16.7% uh, each there. Three stolen bases, eight runs, six RBIs there. Um, just one of the leaders of that Houston offense, him and Alex Bregman, who had a, a really good week as well, uh, were really ca- carrying that offense. Who's been missing Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez? Sure seems like they should be back here in the next week or so, but uh, actually Kyle Tucker just homered again tonight. So I'm, I'm adding that on to my... He has four homers this week, um, but uh, yeah, Kyle Tucker. He's a he's an underrated superstar, I think, in the yep. league. I don't think enough people talk about how good he actually is. Yeah, he's got some of the weirdest defensive metrics this year I've ever seen. He went from being like a plus defender in right field to being like one of the worst in baseball this year. It's just been crazy. So, but to go on your point, like you know, a lot of that, a lot of times it's noise with defensive metrics and. If he had been putting up the same defensive metrics as he has the last couple of years, then he would be like, you know, a four and a half win player right now. So yeah. it's interesting. He's had a, having a really good year. Yeah, he's been really good. Uh, so anything else that we want to wrap up on before we end this episode and, and head towards the trade deadline? Uh, like I mentioned, next week's episode, we'll have all of the, uh, all of the trades, but anything that you guys want to look forward to, you know, potential trades and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess I can start. Um, the, this is going to be a really interesting deadline. I don't think we're going to see the same kind of craziness we saw last year with Juan Soto getting moved. who was like a legitimate 23 year old superstar with two and a half years of control left. Um, you know, even if you did see a Shohei get traded, like it would be, you know, it's a rental. Even if he is the best player in baseball, he's a rental. So I don't think you'd get the same kind of package and as that. I don't think you're going to see like a – I just – I don't know if you're going to see a superstar get traded. I know we've talked some about about Arnado tonight, but I just don't know if I see it. It's going to be very interesting to see which teams end up buying and which teams end up selling. And, and for the teams that are selling, the Cardinals and the White Sox specifically, but to a certain extent, maybe a couple of the other teams like the Mariners, how – how much do they sell? Do they just sell a couple of their rental pieces that like, like the Cardinals sell in Flaherty and Hicks and, or are they going to sell like, you know, start trading Goldschmidt's or an Arenado's and Brandon Donovan's and that type of guy. Um, same thing with the White Sox. Are they going to just trade Giolito and 
maybe one of the two of their relievers, or are they going to start offloading Andersons and, uh, and, um, and Kopecks and, uh, Dylan Cease? Like, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I think, I think it's going to be, there's been a lot of people talking about how it's not going to be a good deadline at all. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's going to be quite the same as what we've seen the last few years, but I think it's going to be a very interesting week. Um, I think the market's going to be – it's the biggest seller's market we've ever seen, I think, mm-hmm. especially with the amount yep. of you know playoff spots that are up for grabs right now, the amount of teams that are around 500 and in contention. So it's going to be a very, very, very interesting deadline. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens over the next week. There's a few teams this week that can really shift the uh, kind of the metrics on what happens on next Tuesday, right? I mean, there's several teams holding some really big pieces. You know, the, the Cubs are one, but the, the Mets have some big pieces. The Padres could throw some guys in the market that like Josh Hader that would suddenly get kick things into high gear. Um you know, we mentioned the Angels, but the Mariners have some controllable pitching, and that is a strength of their system where, you know, that would mean just about anybody, right? Both sellers and buyers could be interested in the Mariners pitching if the Mariners are hunting offense. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things to still get kind of wrapped up as we go into next week. And, and it's funny because a lot of these teams kind of are playing for their, their seasonal lives here. You know, you've got several teams definitely undecided and, and considering both avenues. So we'll see, maybe some teams are going to both buy and sell too. I, I think that's something that front offices are going to try to explore where, you know, you, you trade off a couple of your more rentally pieces, but you also trade away some prospects to get some, some major league value. Uh, I think it's possible for a, a number of these teams that are right around 500 to try to play for kind of now and the future, which ones, I don't know. It makes sense for every team to do that. So We'll see. I mean, half the league's at 500 right now. It's going to be, it's going to be wild. Yeah. I think it's going to be, you know, Matt mentioned that we don't think it's going to be one of the crazier deadlines. I think it's still going to be one of the deadlines where more moves happen than we think. Yeah. Like it might not be so many of the, the big names being traded. There's always surprise names that we aren't even thinking of or hearing right now that, that will get traded. I mean, we won't even hear about it until the trade happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think we're going to have one of those deadlines where a lot of deals come to fruition late in it, and that I mean, people are always looking for bullpen arms. People are always going to look for pitching, but there just seems to be enough of those guys going around, and the rumors kind of already starting about like who would have thought like two weeks ago that the pirates would consider selling Mitch Keller. Like nobody, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's, it's David Bednar as well. Like we're going to continue to get these. Now, will they happen? Who knows? Right. But it's the type of stuff where like these teams are going to start floating more names out there. And I think you're going to see a lot of these deals happen. I think you're going to get upwards of, you know, 25 to 30 trades this, this year. Yeah. And those can range from the Mitch Keller types, but to you know the the types we've already seen with the Fujinami yeah. and Pierce Johnson. I mean, you, you'll see you'll see the, the relievers will move. Yeah. If nothing else, relievers will move. They always do. Yeah. yeah. One other thing you mentioned with that, you know, w- without the waiver trades these last couple of years, 
you absolutely have to have the players in your organization for your postseason run as of Tuesday. Like after that, you cannot add unless there's a street free agent you want to add. Yeah. You cannot add anything. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, in the past, you might not see somebody like a Pierce Johnson get moved because the Braves might wait till and do a waiver trade for somebody like that. Or you might not see a Kike Hernandez get moved yet because the Dodgers might wait, see what happens at the non-waiver deadline, see if they can pull in somebody who's, you know, having a better season. And then, you know, if they don't, then they can bring in that, that you know, the, the, the Kike Hernandez type. But now all your moves, all your depth moves, everything has to happen before the deadline at the end of July. So, you know, you're probably going to see a lot of those small trades too. Like, like you mentioned, like a ton of them. Uh, and, you know, of course we've seen this the last couple of years, but you know, it'll, it'll continue this year. Hey, I low key missed the waiver trade, do- trade deadline. Yeah. It was I mean, nice. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It really was nice. And it, it, it helped when teams have injuries in August too. Like, well, it gave those teams that are in that position of like, should we sell? Should we not an extra month of like, Hey, then we could figure it out, and then we make a move at that point. Like, but, anyways, I will say I do like having a strict deadline too. Yeah, you know, but maybe I think maybe what they need to start considering is pushing the deadline back a week or two into August, given that the draft is now what like two, you know, a, a half a month before, you know, like three weeks before the or trade could, deadline. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, or they like, could just move the draft back up to maybe not they wanted during to. The call- they yeah. want to be during the All Star break. I, I, I get it. Well, yeah. Maybe move the All Star break to actually mid season. That not would work like for me. The five yeah. eights mark. I mean, all right, I, we fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. If you if you want to keep the doing the draft during the All Star weekend, don't do the All Star weekend in the middle of July when you're already because yeah. that means by the time you get to the trade deadline, like there's there's like a quarter of the season left or something like that. Like. It, players, the value of what players want to go for, it's not there. If you make the like the deadline, you know, July fifteenth or July twentieth, I don't know, something like that. Like you put it to the middle of July, you might see a little bit more action, right? Because mm-hmm. there's more, there's more time left in the season. Those those rentals mm-hmm. are slightly more valuable. Yep. Anyways, um, you know, it's going to be a busy episode next week. It's probably going to be one of our longest episodes we've ever done, but. Hope you guys tune in for that one, and we will be here breaking down the trade deadline next week. So thanks, everyone, and have a great day.